It seems fitting on Christmas as we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ to hear words of praise even from the mouths of our children. And so first, um, Isaac is going to come up and read for us from Hebrews 1. He's going to read verse 1 to the first half of verse 3. After that, Josiah will come up and read for us from John 1. And after that, uh, Jeremiah will come up and read for us from Matthew 11. And then finally, Adrian will come up and read for us from Galatians 4. And each of these texts, what they talk about is how Jesus is the Son of God and some of the depth that is there. So Isaac, if you want to go ahead, stand up to the mic right there and... Start us off. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. John 1, 1 verse 5 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made in him. Was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew eleven twenty five through 28. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Well, I want to begin my meditation on Jesus as the Son of God this morning with our passage in Hebrews, um, specifically Hebrews 1, verse 3. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, which we read just moments ago, we read that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. Now, just take a moment to consider those words and what those words must mean. If Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, well, that must mean that God has a radiance of his glory. A radiance of his glory. Now consider what is glory in the first place. In the very first place, glory is radiance. Is it not? If something has glory, that is to say it's so beautiful, it's so great, it's so good, that somehow it radiates forth in some way so that it has glory. And here in Hebrews 1 verse 3, we read that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. It's almost like it's telling us that Jesus is the radiance of the radiance of God or the glory of the glory of God. The idea that I think Hebrews 1 is trying to tell us is that God is so glorious, God is so majestic, God is so great that not only does he have glory, but he has glory of his glory 
And this glory of his glory is so great in itself that it is the person of Jesus Christ. That this is how majestic God is. That he has radiance of his glory and that this radiance of his glory is his son, Jesus Christ. And this radiance of his glory is not like the radiance of any kind of human glory. It's not like the radiance of any king of the earth or any other majestic or wealthy person that we have ever seen. At best, human glory is something that we just kind of admire and say, man, they're really rich or man, they're really powerful or they're really great. But for God, his, his radiance is so overwhelming, it is so perfect that it actually comes to us in the form of a person all by himself, Jesus Christ. And so even as we look forward to Christmas, that little manger where Jesus was put on Christmas morning, even in that form, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And how great Is the glory of Jesus Christ, how great is the glory of the glory of God? Well, consider just two verses. Here's Matthew 17, verse 2, talking about Jesus' transfiguration. When he went up on a mountain and he was transformed with a couple of his disciples, it says he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. His face shined like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. Or the same idea is given to us in Revelation 1.16. It says, In his right hand, that is in Jesus' right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. Beloved, again, just consider a radiance like that. Consider a glory like that, a glory like the sun shining in full strength. So Jesus is already the glory of the glory of God, the radiance of the glory of God. And even when we get to this level of God's glory, what is still true of him? His face still shines like the sun in full radiance, the sun at full strength. Now I know All of us here have seen the sun in the sky before. We've all seen the sun shining in full strength. But I guarantee you that none of us have ever looked at the sun in full strength before. Because we all know that if we were to try and do that, if we were to try to look at the sun in full strength, we would be blinded, would we not? We cannot look at the sun when it is in full strength. Maybe we can look at it on a day like today when all the clouds are blocking it and everything else. But on a bright, shiny day where the sun is beaming down, we cannot look at the sun in full brightness. Have you ever watched the sun come up before? You know, early in the hours of the morning, if it's a really clear day and you can get a clear view of the horizon toward the east where the sun comes up, You know, first the the sky just kind of starts to glow. And of course, you can look at the sky while it glows. And then you might see a little sliver of the sun just begin to pierce the horizon. And even when that little sliver of the sun pierces the horizon, you can still kind of look at that sliver for maybe a few seconds at a time and it, it doesn't burn your eyes too badly. But then even once one quarter of the sun is up above that horizon, you cannot look at it anymore. It is just too bright. 
it is too radiant. And even when just a quarter of the sun is above the horizon, it's almost like it's already daytime on the earth. There's light that's been spread everywhere. Again, beloved, this is just a small picture of the glory of Jesus Christ. And you are all very smart people. I'm sure you already know these facts about the sun, but just to remind you, did you know that the sun is the size of 1.3 million earths? 1.3 million earths could fit inside of our sun. And when we see the light from the sun, it's already traveled about 93 million miles to get to us. When we see the light from the sun, it's about eight minutes old because that's how long it takes for the light to get from the sun to us. And so that means here we are, standing 93 million miles away from this glorious object, 93 million miles away from the sun, and even at this distance, we cannot bear to look at it in full brightness. That's how amazing the sun is. And scientists tell us that if we were to even move 1% closer to the sun than we are right now, so 9.3 million miles, if we were to move just 1% closer to the sun than we are right now, we would all burn up. Because that's how hot the sun is. That's how enormous the sun is. And again, beloved, this just gives us some small sense of the glory, of the glory of God. Jesus, his face shines like the sun in full brightness. This is the radiance of Jesus, that he is as bright as the sun in full strength. This, beloved, is the primary meaning of Jesus being the Son of God. It means that Jesus is this sort of emanation or this projection of God himself. As Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So God exists in this invisible light that we cannot see. No one has ever seen God. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus presents God to us. He is God taken on flesh. He is the image of God. He is God projected, God shown to us. Right Now, we all know that God doesn't have body parts, right? He can't have children. So Jesus is not the son of God in the way that I'm the son of my father or any human son is the son of a human father. Jesus was not born to God in any strict sense. And yet scripture does tell us that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten of the Father. Meaning that Jesus was sent forth from the Father. He comes from the Father. We read a verse this morning also that said that in John 1.14. It says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word only Son and the old King James, it would say only begotten. The Greek word is monogenes. He is the only begotten from the Father. He somehow proceeds from the Father. Again, he is the representation of the Father to us. And so he is the only son of the Father because the Father stands above in the invisible light and he sends forth another one. The one that he sends forth is called his son. So Jesus is this radiance of the Father's glory. He is the only begotten 
Son of God. Now we'll come back to this reality of who Jesus is in a moment, but I want to start working toward what the significance of this is for our lives today. So to set this up, just consider the fact that there are basically two ways to conceive of being a good person. There's two different ways you can think of what it means to be a good person. One way to think of being a good person, and probably the more common way, is you think of a good person as someone who has learned to abstain from doing the wrong things. There's someone who's really good at practicing self-denial. They're really good at being self-controlled. They they don't take part in those things that they shouldn't take part in. They keep themselves clean. They keep themselves pure. Again, they are experts at saying no. They are experts at rejecting those wrong things. And I know for most of my childhood, when I thought about being a good person or when I thought about being a good Christian, that's mostly what I thought of. I just had to say no to drinking. I had to say no to drugs. I had to say no to sex. I had to say no to all these things. And if I said no to all those things, well, that meant that I would be in the right with God and I would be a good person. But there's another way of thinking about being a good person that's quite different. It's not thinking of being a good person mainly in the sense of what you reject, what you can say no to, the pleasures that you can deny yourself. The other way to think about being a good person is that you love the things that you really should love, that your heart really desires those things that your heart really should desire. And so in this conception of being a good person, being a good person is not so much a matter of abstinence or self-denial. It's actually a matter of really enjoying the things that you are supposed to enjoy. Being a good person is mostly about loving things, mostly about drawing near to the right things. Not so much about just saying no to all the wrong things that we know we're not supposed to do. Now, of course, we do know that we will always have to deny ourselves at certain times and we do have to practice self-control. That's a very clear teaching of Scripture. But I want to suggest that the primary way that we are to think about being the people that God wants us to be is not mainly through the lens of gloomy and continual self-denial, just rejecting all of those wonderful things out there in the world that God doesn't let us enjoy. Rather, the way that we're supposed to pursue the lifestyle that God wants us to live is through the lens of radical pursuit. It's through the lens of loving, attaining true joy, true happiness. What God wants us to be is not mainly people who have rejected our joy here and now, who have rejected happiness here and now. He mainly wants us to be people who are deeply happy, who are deeply satisfied. And so if we are going to be the sort of people that God wants us to be, then we must learn to love, to pursue the sort of things that God wants us to love and pursue. And the good news is that in Scripture, God is promised as good in a whole multitude of ways. So in Scripture, God himself is spoken of as a source of pleasure. Take Psalm 1611, for example. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So pursue pleasure. Pursue it in God. God is spoken of as a source of peace. 
Isaiah 26, verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So pursue peace, but pursue it in God. He's spoken of as the one who gives abundant life. Jesus himself says in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So pursue abundant life. Pursue it in Jesus. God is spoken of as a place of safety and security. Psalm 91 verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God and whom I trust. So we don't need to deny ourselves a sense of security or a sense of safety. We can pursue that, but we pursue it in God. God is spoken of as a satisfaction of all of our desires. Psalm 63, verses 5 and 6. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So what happens when we remember the Lord, when we meditate on the Lord and the watches of the night, even staying up late to meditate on the Lord, what happens? Our soul gets satisfied as with fat and rich food. I could go on and on about how Scripture teaches in all these different ways that God is good, that He satisfies our desires, that He gives us the things that our hearts most deeply want. And if that is true, if it's true that God is that sort of being who can satisfy us in all these ways, then again, that means that our living the Christian life, our living for God, is not mainly about our denying ourselves pleasure or denying ourselves peace or safety or security, denying ourselves our desires. It means that our main mission in life is actually finding those desires fulfilled in God himself. We need to radically pursue these things, not deny ourselves of them because we must radically pursue God himself. And beloved, this is where the nature and the character of Jesus becomes so important. This is where seeing Jesus as the Son of God, seeing him as the radiance of the glory of God can be so helpful to our souls in coming to God to find this sort of satisfaction this sort of joy and delight. So let's do a little thought experiment, okay? Let's say that our being good and godly people was actually mainly about self-denial, was mainly about just resisting temptations, resisting those things that look so wonderful. If that was mainly what our life was supposed to be like, what kind of savior would we need? Well, We certainly wouldn't need or even want a Savior who would satisfy us or who would live continually on the basis of joy. After all, our whole object in life would be to try and deny ourselves satisfaction, right? We'd want to be saying, no, I I can't be happy. I can't do the things I want to do. And so we wouldn't want a satisfying Savior. And if we wanted a role model at all, we we would want a role model in self-denial, right? We would want some kind of role model who could show us that it's possible to really be miserable your whole life, to deny yourself every sort of earthly pleasure, 
to deny yourself peace and joy and all these things because those things aren't really that important. Those things aren't really what they're cracked up to be. And we would really admire this person for how they were able to put aside their own happiness, put aside their own joy, and just always do the right thing. Well, is that the kind of savior that we get in Jesus Christ? Is that what he was like? Always kind of gloomy, always kind of angry that he couldn't enjoy all the things that the world could enjoy, but he would say no because it was the right thing to do. I don't think that's what we find in Jesus at all. In Jesus, what we find is a Savior who is indeed full of life and joy, who lives continually on the basis of joy. Jesus, in his very first miracle, he makes good wine for a wedding party. Jesus always welcomes children to himself. Jesus is called a friend of sinners. I mean, people in Jesus' day who knew him even called him a glutton and a drunkard because he enjoyed eating and drinking so much. Because they knew that's who he was, because that characteristic could stick to him. In comparison to John the Baptist, who is called a dirge, a dirge is just a sad song, right? That's what John the Baptist was, right? He was out in the wilderness. He was rejecting worldly society. He was, he was a dirge. He was a sad song. The ministry of Jesus is called a song on a flute. <laughs> Jesus came to give joy. Jesus came and lived from joy. And the primary reason why Jesus could have this kind of ministry The primary reason why Jesus could have this kind of joy is because he carried around joy with him wherever he went. Now, what sort of joy did he carry around? He obviously didn't carry around the joy of wealth. He was not a wealthy man. He didn't carry around the joy of having lots of power. He was not a powerful man. The joy that Jesus carried around was the joy of his father. The joy of his father. Jesus knew that he was the only son of the father. He knew what his father was like. He knew how his father loved him. And he loved his father. And because he had this joy of knowing that he was the son of the father, he had joy all the time. In 1 Timothy 1.11, we read that the apostle Paul preached a gospel. It said in accord- he preached in accordance with the gospel of the glory of of the blessed God. Now that word blessed can also just be translated happy. Paul preached the gospel in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the happy God. God himself, God the Father, is a happy God. He is overflowing with joy. And what is the Father's primary joy? What is the Father's happiness? I would suggest to you that the Father's primary happiness is happiness in His Son. He knows His Son. He loves His Son. And because He loves His Son, He is full of joy. Matthew 3, 17, at Jesus' baptism, God tells us exactly this. It says, And behold, a voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father, said, this is my beloved son, my beloved son, the son who I love, my beloved son, that's not all it says, with whom I am well pleased, with whom I am well pleased. 
God the Father is saying, my son makes me glad. I love him. He makes me happy. Fathers, is that the tone of your relationship with your sons and your daughters? Are you well pleased with them? Do they give you joy? For God the Father and God the Son, this was a source of life. In Proverbs chapter 8, we read a bit of the story of creation itself. And in John 1, we're told that Jesus was the agent of creation, right? By him, all things were created. And Proverbs 8 tells us that by wisdom, all things were created. And so when we turn to Proverbs 8, what we see is wisdom personified. In other words, we see Jesus. And listen to how Proverbs 8 talks about this wisdom that God had, this wisdom personified when he established the earth. So Proverbs 8, this is verses 27 and 30. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. I was daily his delight. Isn't it a beautiful relationship that the father has with the son and the son has with the father? There's no conflict. There's no anger. There's no disappointment. There's no unmet expectations. There is only delight. Listen to this one last description of the relationship between the father and the son. John five nineteen and 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. The Father has a level of delight in the Son, that is so great that whatever the Father does, the Father just wants to show the Son and say, Son, look at what I'm doing. I want you to do it with me. I want you to do the works that I'm doing. I want us to do everything together because that's how much I love you. You are the radiance of my glory. You are my exact image. And so they exist in perfect fellowship with one another, in perfect harmony, in perfect love with one another. Have you considered just this amazing reality that Jesus the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and is so well-loved and admired by his Father that in their relationship between one another, they have this source of joy that can never be quenched because the Father knows that the Son will never be taken from him. The Son knows that the Father will never be taken. And so they are joyous, all the time, from all eternity past into all eternity future. This is who God is. Beloved, because this is who God is, this is how Jesus can be the radiance of the Father's glory. Because their relationship is so perfect, so overflowing in this kind of love and joy that they have in one another. That God the Father says, I want my creation to see this son that I have. I want my creation to know me. And if I want them to know me, then all I have to do is send my son because my son is just like me. And so God sends his son as the radiance of his glory. 
as an invitation for us, for all of creation, to simply come to the sun and to simply drink and to be satisfied. You see, God does not want us to be good mainly through self-denial and thinking, well, I guess I just can't enjoy anything good. Or maybe we put a little bit better note on it and we say, well, I guess I can't enjoy anything good until I get to heaven. And again, yes, there certainly is a place for self-denial, but self-denial is not an end in itself. The purpose of self-denial is to see more of Jesus Christ, to ultimately get more from him than anything that you could give up for him. Jesus himself makes this clear. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now that sounds a lot just like self-denial, right? Deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Yeah, Jesus just wants us to live a hard life, right? To grind it out. But in the very next verse, Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So he appeals to our self-denial on the basis of our desire to save our lives. On the basis of our desire to find our lives, to find our joy, to find the satisfaction of our desires. That's why we go into self-denial. That's why we sometimes do have to fight thing, fight against things that we want because we know that there's something even bigger, something even better that we want. And so the great good that we get when we come to Jesus, believing that he truly is who he claims to be, when we come to Jesus and we really believe that he is the Son of God, Meaning, we really believe that in his face, there is the sun in full brightness. That there is that level of glory in Jesus Christ. When we come to him in that way, there we find satisfaction for our souls. There we find the joy of the Father overflowing into the sun. The glory of the Father shining forth through the sun. The happiness of the Father making clear his joy in the sun. And so when we come to Jesus, the Son of God, we come to a Father who is glad, who is radiating joy and glory and everything good. This is why John 1.14 says, We have seen his glory. We have seen the glory of Jesus. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In fact, whatever we see now of the glory of Jesus is really just the very first taste of the overwhelming and measurable joy that God has in store for us. The high priestly prayer in John 17, where Jesus prays for that last time before he goes to the cross, Jesus tells us something of the wonder that he has in store for us in our relationship with God. So John 17, verse 24 Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Beloved, when we see the glory of Jesus Christ, we see the glory of someone who has been loved from the Father 
from all eternity. We see the glory of joy. We see the glory of wonder, the glory of peace. This is the glory of Jesus Christ. And notice Jesus also prays in that verse that we would see his glory. And again, Revelation 1 says that the glory of Jesus Christ is like the sun shining in full brightness, so we cannot even stand right now to behold the glory of Jesus Christ in its full brightness. But Jesus prays that one day we would be able to see his glory in its full brightness. And so even now, God is preparing for us that eternal joy that we will have, that we would be given eyes so that we could behold the amazing glory of Jesus Christ. But then the high priestly prayer goes on and it comes to a climax in verse 26. And Jesus says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Beloved, all this joy that the Father has in the Son, all this delight that the Father has in the Son, this is the delight, this is the joy that he wants to pour into our hearts. This is what we were created for, beloved. This is the joy beyond all joys. This is the peace beyond all peace. This is the wonder beyond all wonder that when we come to God, we don't come to him as a father who is this demanding taskmaster saying, have you done what I told you to do yet? No, we come to this Father who has already poured all of his love into his Son. And so we come to God through the Son. And what do we find? We find a Father who is well-pleased. A Father who welcomes us with open arms saying, Enter into the joy that I had for my Son from before the foundations of the world. And so... Beloved, when we take time this Christmas to think of that infant in the manger, remember that he is the Son of God. He is the one in whom the Father delights. And because he is the Son of God, he has this radiance of joy that is brighter than the sun. And all he invites you to do is to come and behold him, to come and drink Jesus, when he was speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, this was a woman who was not well known, a woman who was not powerful, a woman who didn't have a good reputation, a woman who was living in sin. In other words, there's nothing in this woman that Jesus should try to win her over, that Jesus should try to make her a big offer, that she would be one of his followers. No, he comes to this woman who doesn't really have anything to offer. And this is what Jesus says in John 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you see how Jesus, 
as the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus, as the one who is continually shining forth the glory of God, who is always full of life and joy because of the love that exists between him and the Father, can come to this woman at the well and can say, if you just drink the water that I give you, it will be everlasting. It will be a well of joy that can never run dry. This is the radiance of God himself saying this to the woman at the well. He is inviting her into his overflow. He is inviting her into the great gift that he has come to give the world. And so, beloved, when we come to God, this is how we come. We come as the ones who want to receive. We come as the ones who want to get. We come as the ones who can receive everything through Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of the glory of God. Beloved, let us never come to God thinking that, oh, what do I have to offer him? Or what have I done that makes me worthy of him? Or what can I do that will earn my place in his kingdom? Jesus says it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, beloved. God is the source of all joy, of all life, of all pleasure, of all peace, of every good thing. And what God calls us to do over and over in Scripture is to glut ourselves on him is to get all our desires fulfilled in him precisely because he is this well that overflows and overflows and overflows. He is the one who sent his son into the world and his son is the one that came into the world and didn't just come to show off, but actually came to die, to give his very life for us and then to rise again to show that his life can never be taken away. And then again, all he invites us to do is to enter into this life of giving over and over and over where it can never be given out, where God will always come through, where God will always be abundant to the uttermost. Beloved, we cannot buy our salvation. We cannot work hard enough to please God. Only one thing is required of us. Only one thing. Come to Jesus. Behold his majesty. Believe that he truly is the Son of God. That he truly is radiating always the Father's joy, the Father's love, the Father's glory. So that when we behold his face, so that when we behold his glory, we know satisfaction for our souls. We know rest. We know peace. Because Jesus is the perfectly loved Son of God. And he invites us to be perfectly loved by the Father as well. Would you go to the Father with me now in prayer? Lord, we rejoice, God. We are so happy that you did not come to demand things from us that we could never hope to give. You did not come to scold us. You did not come to condemn us. Rather, you came to invite us into your very life. You came to invite us into your love. And so, Lord, I just say thank you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me eyes that even more clearly see the joy that you are welcoming me into, the more clearly see the glory that you are welcoming me into. 
Father, would you draw me to yourself more and more with cords of love? Would you receive our prayers now as your people?